You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Welcome to Full Access OK. I'm Skyler Cooper here with Steve Berg. Howdy. And we are really excited about this episode, at least I am today, something we've had on our list since we began the podcast months and months ago. And we're finally getting to it today, Steve. Yeah, after some travels around the suburbs the past few weeks, we are back in Tulsa at one of the city's iconic and ironic tourist spots. We say ironic because it was never supposed to be a tourist spot. We're talking about the church studio, which was also never really supposed to be a studio. But never say never because it has become both a wildly popular tourist stop and a wildly popular recording studio, drawing some of the biggest names in music ever since Leon Russell, a Tulsa icon himself, bought it back in the early 70s. If you drive down 3rd Street between Peoria and Utica there, you can't miss the striking gothic silhouette there at uh, 3rd and Trenton. We talked to the current owner, Teresa Knox, about how it first caught her eye. What do you consider your title? I've noticed interviewing some folks who, uh, who run places like this, they kind of go, well, I do this, I do that. But what do you <laughs> consider your title to be? Um, I would probably say CEO. Okay. We are at the church studio, the historic church studio, and Steve's drinking out of one of their awesome coffee cups that I'm going to have to get before we leave. It's pretty good coffee, too. Ooh. Yeah, I don't Speaking know my language. Good, yeah. <laughs> uh, we're sitting upstairs in this awesome conference room with so many things that we're going to have to get to, but Teresa, I want to back up to um, this was a shutdown building not being used, even though it had all that history. How did you come across it, and what made you go, you know what, I'm going to I'm going to take this thing on and reopen it. Well, it, it wasn't planned. I was working on another project next to Circle Cinema. I own a building right next door to that. And like a lot of locals, a huge Leon Russell fan. And I knew about the church. I hadn't been by in probably three decades. And just found myself um, driving by the property and uh, noticed it was boarded up and um, you know, the, the area, it, it was always kind of a rough neighborhood, even when Leon acquired it in 1972, but it seemed extra rough. And so I just thought, man, that would be so cool to own this building. So I looked on the tax records, I looked up the owner and I wrote him a letter. I just said, hey, I'm a huge Leon fan. Um, would you consider selling? And a few days later, he gave me a call. Wow. So that quickly, it was sort of like, well, okay. Was he looking to sell it, or was it just because you contacted him? Uh, only because I contacted him. It wasn't for sale. He made it very clear it wasn't for sale. But uh, he wanted to get together. I discovered that he was also a big Leon fan, and so we had a lot of fun you know, back and forth. And I'm a collector of Leon Russell memorabilia, J.J. Kill, a lot of the Tulsa Sound legends. And um, so we kind of hit it off from you know, our love for Leon Russell and um, and then we started talking about, you know, what it would it look like if he did sell it? And I would assume that, and maybe I'm wrong, what it looks like today, 
maybe wasn't exactly what you thought when you first decided to acquire it, right? That's right. It was a little rough. Of course, I had only seen the exterior. I uh, would walk around their property and, you know, actually I tried to break in and uh, he wanted to talk about it, but he wasn't comfortable showing me the property. So after a few weeks of meeting and talking back and forth, we came to an agreement, but I still hadn't seen the property. So I ended up buying it sight unseen. You guys have done a great job of blending the old with the new because already I've been mistaken about what's old and what's new. It'd be kind of a fun game to play to say, okay, this is old, this is new. So maybe you could tell us all the stuff that you had to do to bring the place back up to speed. I think one of the first uh, really important things that we did is just um, look at the structure. So it was definitely compromised. It was pretty much imploding. The building was crooked. Um, it hadn't been maintained and in that regard, the foundation. And so we did some serious foundation work. We, uh, we kind of dug in a, a story underground and we built a foundation from the bottom up, which was great because it shored up the property, um, kind of like the peering process we've all heard about. Um, but we did that with concrete because, you know, it's so important that the structure be here forevermore. And we wanted to make sure it was solid before we added on any other thing to it. But we brought in some things that, that wasn't present before, like public restrooms. Um, we brought in 28 miles of wire. Um, we had new plumbing system, of course, new HVAC, new roof. Um, and then we added on to the historic part of the property, and that afforded an opportunity to add gallery space. Because even though our primary function is a recording studio, we blew up more so than I ever dreamed would happen as a tourist attraction. Not only tourists for, you know, everyday folks, but I see almost every band that comes into town to play Canes or BOK or wherever, they stop by here. How do they find out about it? Well, a lot of it is word of mouth. We have a green room at BOK. In fact, we're about to renovate that a little bit, but it kind of gives a little bit of history on the church studio. Some just, you know, held Leon to such a high esteem and, and knew about the studio. I think we've done a really good job with our digital DNA, our digital footprint. So as we were renovating the property, uh, we were building our, our brand uh, on our website, all of the social channels. But it's so exciting for us. We try to be all calm and cool when a celebrity comes in. But um, all of us, all of our team, myself included, you know, the bottom line is we're just music fans. And to be able to show um, these artists the property really means a lot. Even young artists like El King, that they come in to check it out and then they book a session. And so we really love that. What are some of the big moments in history for the studio? You know, what put it on the map? Well, I think what Leon Russell did in 1972 is, is really what put it on the map, and that's what qualified it for being on the National Register of Historic Places. But to me, the big moment is when it was finished in 1915 as well. Um, this church was built by locals. The ladies of the church put little advertisements in the local paper. They said, if you're a bricklayer, if you're a mason, if you have any scrap wood, we will feed you a chicken dinner if you help us build this church. And that's very, very different compared to the churches we have downtown where they had the best builders, the best architects from all over the world. And so I think that's such an endearing part of the story. 
So it was finished in 1915. We discovered it was an integrated church, which says so much about our city in 1915. Um, and then um, in the 50s, it changed a little bit. It changed denominations. The historic brick was covered with a fake stone called Permastone. So that was really a pivotal moment in the building's history. And then in 1972, spring of 72, Leon, top touring artist in the, in the country, came back to his hometown of Tulsa, Oklahoma, and then opened up a second office to Shelter Records with his British uh, business partner, Denny Cordell. And then you think a few years after that, when so many artists came through here, like George Harrison, like Eric Clapton, like Willie Nelson, like Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, absolutely love that. And then after Leon, there have actually been five owners between Leon Russell and myself, but there was a really important time in history when Steve Ripley, the co-founder um, of the Tractors, he and his lovely wife, Charlene Ripley, owned the property for 19 years, and they did a lot of amazing things. You know, Garth Brooks came through here, Ronnie Dunn, of course, the Tractors, Hanson, um, so many others, and so that was an important moment as well, that, that two decades that they had it. So you kind of describe this as the people's mm -hmm. church. Ironically, I didn't even realize until fairly recently that it was open to the public. So how much of it can the public see? What can you do here? Do you have to make an appointment? Just kind of describe for people that aren't familiar with it or had misconceptions about it like I did. Right, and I, I love that you have that misconception because you know, our primary function is recording. And there have been a lot of studios across the country. I love them, but it really is more about the tourism, not the production of music. Muscle Shoals, RCA Studio B, Motown. And we didn't want that. We wanted to honor the past, but we wanted to be relevant to today's artist. So six days a week, the public can come in. We're open from 10 to 3. If an artist is recording, depending on the artist, we do block that that part of the studio, but they still get to see a lot of different things. Some of our local artists are really nice and we ask them, hey, we have some groups coming in and they're like, yeah, they can definitely peek in. And um, the room that we're in now is, you know, is above the studio and you can look through the window. And I think that's really neat. I think that's part of the appeal of tourists and locals coming in that, oh, they may see someone that they know, and they really love that. But um, I think we've done a really good job opening it up to the public, but pres preserving the integrity of the recording process. Everywhere you look in here, there's amazing artifacts, whether it's the art, the, even the table that we're sitting at. I believe some of the furniture was even Leon's. Um, and then there's your amazing collection of microphones, and it just is really impressive to me as a radio guy and an audio nerd that not only do you own those and have them for people to see, but they are used. And I think some people would look at that and say, how could you use those? I imagine you say, how could we not? Right, exactly. Well, well, there is a difference between the archive. We have about a five, 6,000 piece archive that's just for people to study and learn from and to celebrate and to remember things. And, and for our, our artists coming in, a lot of them find a lot of inspiration from those things. But we were very intentional on the acquisition and the curation of the vintage gear that we have, You know, starting with our console, which is an Eve 8068, to our two tape machines. We have an MPEG which is a, 
um, half-inch tape, and then we have a two-inch tape machine, which is a Studer. And then you mentioned the mics. Um, and we have a special closet for those mics, but we have new mics, but we have a beautiful collection of, of Neumanns and AKGs and Telefunkens. Most of them are matched pairs. Many, many, many of them are consecutive serial numbers. So you're right, they are museum quality, but those things are meant to be used, and the artists love it. And, and as you know, there's a lot of disruption. There's a lot of, I mean, you can record. Like, look at us here. We're recording in this room, you don't need a fancy recording studio. So it has kind of evolved to being a very niche boutique market to be a full-blown analog studio like what we offer here. You were talking about when we were downstairs, what's new and what's old on the structure. And when, we, when you enter, you enter into a new space. How careful did you have to consider what that looked like? Because you, know, you did say that it's a historic, on the National Registry, historic places. But you obviously want to kind of blend that a little bit. How did that process go? Well, when we blended the old with the new at the church studio, we had some really great people we worked with, primarily our architect, Chris Lilly. He was involved with BOK Center, the Bob Dylan Center, Woody Guthrie Center, you know, most of the arts district. He really, truly is a visionary, but he has an affection for historic properties. There are a lot of examples where historic structures try to match when they add on to it. The Mid-Continent Towers example, that they did that, but then you lose your designation on the National Register. So we wanted to differentiate from the historic part, but to complement it. So the permastone on the historic structure is this beautiful gray and beige, but it is fake stone. Well, we found some beautiful Oklahoma limestone is actually a superior product to the churches, but the color looks so well. But we also lowered the structure so it's sort of subordinate to the primary structure and it has a very modern feel to it and so the church has kind of this gothic look to it so when you walk in you see that a lot of people say oh it's a separate building but we seamlessly blended the two with this beautiful breezeway but when you walk into the new structure we have this anamorphic sculpture that pays tribute to the uh, shape of the original church but also we have this cathedral ceiling and we have some other elements that say this is new, but it's a nod to the original structure. Being that you have um, so many people recording here now, you mentioned Elle King, I remember seeing her photos. Who stands out to you now that has recorded here that we might know? Um, well, we've had, gosh, we've had so many. Some of them we're still not able to announce. We, I never really thought about this because, you know, I spill my guts to everyone and don't ever tell me a secret because I'll let everyone know. But um, I'm really excited about an album that is coming out in a few months by Taj Mahal. And what I love about Taj is, you know, for many years back in the 70s, he worked with Tulsa musicians like Jesse Ed Davis and um, Gary Gilmore and, and um, so many others. And he worked with Leon, of course. So that's coming out first quarter of 2024. A great album just was launched by the Mountain Goats. We really love that. Um, oh, gosh, I always go blank when people ask me this. We're, we're really busy recording. We're averaging about five days a week. The National, they were here for two days. We absolutely loved our time with them. Um, so we're excited about that project. We've had, you know... 
Tommy Emmanuel was our very first customer. He's such an extraordinary guitarist, and he's amazing. Cut a couple of songs, and you know, usually you try, you know, you go over and over and over again. I mean, the first take on each one, absolutely perfect. But we've also had an opportunity to record so many of our local artists, like Paul Benjamin and and. Casey Stephan and and so many others and we'd love that. Uh, Nick Mancini was here last week. Super excited about his project because he is a jazz extraordinaire, and um, I I think they're going to blow up. They are so good. So again, we've had a lot of people locals. It's about fifty fifty. It's surprising to us that about fifty percent of our clients are outside of Oklahoma and coming from larger markets like L.A. and Austin and Nashville, and they're traveling to Tulsa to record with us and I love also that it has a side benefit of an economic impact you know they're getting hotel rooms they're eating here they're getting to know our city what we offer now but also they get to learn about our past which is very magical but we have a lot of artists like when Journey was in town they came by and it's you know at first you know they just look like regular old people and they are um until we're like holy crap look at that it's like the first time joe bonamassa comes in i was like oh, yeah. you know it's great and he's been been by a couple of times now and so we're starting to get regulars of these people when when they're in town like air supply i mean we have totally fallen in love with them and their first acoustic show in nearly 50 years happened here and then they scheduled an extra day of recording. And we actually bought a microphone from Graham Russell, uh, which is a Telefunken. It's a great vocal mic, a Telefunken, ELAM 251. And it's turned out to be one of our favorite mics. But we love that um, it has a whole history with air supply. Well, I'll put a bug in your ear for uh, somebody who, uh, if you come across, I would happy to be uh, you know, a fly on the wall that day. I'm a huge fan of John Mayer. And I know that he has played with Leon. Mm-hmm. Um, Leon was an influence to him. They played, I think it was the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And what a gorgeous mixture they were. But um, he hasn't been back to Tulsa, John, since I think 2010. First time I saw him. And I've had to chase him all over the country since. But if he ever gets remotely aware of this, I think he'd be a great addition here. And what a, what a great player to play here. Oh, we love John. And you're right. He, um, it became very public, his admiration for Leon Russell. When Leon, uh, when Elton inducted Leon into the uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And they did a, a song for you, which is uh, Leon's most beloved song. And it was very emotional. I don't think there was a dry eye in the audience. And Leon Um, got very emotional and had tears down his eyes but John is extraordinary he's played uh, Going Down which was written by a shelter artist um, Don Nix and so we're very excited to get John here we think he will come here but if you have any connections or you have a cell phone number let me know because I will text him right after we're done well if either one of us comes across that we'll be reaching out we always like to end with this, and obviously you're, you've been open a little over a year now, but what do you see the future being for the church studio, and what do you hope people take away from their experiences here? Well, um, we've kind of let the building speak to us and all of the visitors. You know, I had no idea we'd blow up as a, as a tourist attraction, and so we're really embracing that. But, you know, everyone always knew about the church and Leon and the, all the Tulsa sound legends like Keltner and J.J. Kell and Twilly and Ripley and Richmond and Tea Garden. I mean, there's so, so many. So, you know, we take our role very serious because we want to educate 
people about these pioneers. They were very in innovative. They were very entrepreneurial. But we want to be relevant and an inspiration to today's artists, whether they're established or a young local artist that uh, wants to um, make a career in the music industry. We want to be a part of that. And, you know, I was born in Tulsa. I had no idea that tourists would come to my hometown. And I love to see that. And as we are approaching the 100th anniversary of Route 66, I think that's very important. Last week alone, we had people from the UK and Australia. It's like, why are you here? And I love that because I'm very proud of our heritage. And we've met people that have walked through here and they move here. And it's like, what? I mean, it's amazing. And that's even outside of the Tulsa Remote Program. So I just want to, you know, again, honor the people like Lee. There would be no church studio without Leon Russell. But we hope that we play a vital role and not in only in Tulsa's musical ecosystem, but you know, nationally and internationally, because Tulsa deserves that. So yeah, you have to appreciate how Teresa has both figuratively and, as we heard, literally created the foundation for the future of the church studio. And you have to think about the resurgence of the surrounding area, too. New restaurants and businesses that weren't there before are due at least in part to the renovation of the church. Forms a nice bridge between downtown and the recent resurgence of the Pearl District and the Kendall Whittier District. That Third Street Corridor is also enjoying new life. I certainly had fun out there, Steve. I hope you enjoyed your first uh, foray into the reopened studio. Oh, yeah. I was jealous when I heard about you guys touring it when it was first done and wished I could be there. So, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Well, I would say anybody who's a music fan, whether or not you're super familiar with Leon Russell, so many people passed through there even since it reopened. I would say you got to check it out. And uh, as Steve and I both saw, they have a ton of stuff in the gift shop, too. Cool place to stop. Yeah, and you might see somebody famous. Thanks for listening. This has been Full Access OK. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.